Hello, and welcome to What Is My Podcast About? This is the podcast where we sit down on a fortnightly basis and discuss a topic to figure out what we're going to make a podcast about. Uh, I am your host, Peter Nathaniel Graves Akerley, and I am joined, as always, by my two very good friends whose names I haven't forgotten. I promise this is not me vamping. They are Matthew Stephen Grace and Keith Edward Ramsey. Hello. I feel like you're just adding middle names in here now that don't exist. Yep, 100%. Uh, that's definitely what I'm doing. Um, I don't know. I just When I'm using my professional voice, I feel weird. I The cadence of my name without the middle name sounds wrong. And you guys called me up for not using your middle name, so I feel like I have to. I'm just saying, if we get to January and you're like seven middle names deep and you're the fifth uh i'm gonna be calling something on that uh i so i don't know if i've already done this on a podcast or not or if you're just reading my mind a little bit but my name sounds the cadence in my head sounds better if i add a the blank to the end of it i'm pretty Uh, sure you did say the fifth once yeah you did explain this one uh i usually go for the third uh or something yeah yeah um I'll try not to do that because that's not my name. It just, the cadence sounds really good in my head and my brain likes it, but I'll try not to do it, I promise. I don't promise I won't do it, I'll just try not to do it. I caught myself today. I was really fucking close today, I'll be <laughs> honest with you guys. Alright, uh, so so how are you guys doing other than name shenanigans? Pretty cool. good. With my- <laughs> Pretty good with my other name shenanigans, trying to think of a name for a new puppy. Ooh, have you acquired him, or is that still a little bit of a ways out? That's, as of recording, tomorrow. Ooh, that means as of release, that'll have happened two days prior. Fun fact, that's when we're recording right now. Yes. Uh, Or is it? Who Who knows? knows? We might just be incredibly bad at addition and subtraction. Maybe I just release it a day late to make Peter a liar. I mean, you could do that, but then, then we'd be people a liar would in our, uh, October 31st episode. <laughs> Not only would that make me look like a liar in the recording, people would realize, even if you cut this entire part of the conversation out, <laughs> people would realize that our episode got released a day late. Uh, <laughs> Because we do have a very consistent when do we release this episode schedule. No, I'd leave um, this part in just to explain the joke better. Uh, fair, that's good. Uh, so, tomorrow, eh? You yeah. excited? I am incredibly excited. Have you guys uh, got like a potential list, or are you still working on names? Still working on names. We've got a big list, but we're going to narrow it down to our top picks. May and I throw the Decide name. on a name when we actually see the puppy. May I throw the name Hey You in there? That won't stick. I think it would. Uh, may I throw in the name Duke Doge into the list? That is sophis- sophisticated, but again, will not work. To be fair, that is entirely based on the fact that when 
I was living with my dog most recently. Um, he had a name. It was Cornelius, which was already ridiculously fancy. But every once in a while, I just felt like giving him titles. You see now that I like just giving <laughs> things titles that they don't deserve. Mostly myself, sometimes dogs. Uh, so I vary between referring to him as the Prince of Puppers or Duke Doge. Um, that's just things I did. I'm a normal person, I promise. I just don't come across as such during the podcast. Still room to be debated, but we'll leave it at that. What about you, Keith? What's going on in the actual world? Uh, so I'm currently partway through the uh, Resident Evil 1 board game Kickstarter, which is going pretty crazy. Uh, they're revealing all the stuff in a narrative sense where us, the backers, are voting on what options to do, and people will die. Take that as you will. Fun. And by people, do you mean characters in this board game? Or do you mean actual real-world humans will die depending on the choices you make? Yeah, no, it's people who failed to back it. I'll leave that up in the air. Fair. Another fun news, though, uh, and on the topic of killing people specifically, uh, we got a new trailer for the Scream movie. Yeah? I haven't actually seen it yet. Is look good? It looks very good, actually. It's taking place, like, real-time afterwards, so 25 years after the first movie is when this one takes place, and it's pretty much the same. The difference being the original movie came out in December, and this one's coming out in January, so a bit of delay. I take it back. Now that I think about it, I have seen the trailer. Um, but yeah, it does look really good. Um, bringing back some old characters, focusing on some new ones. We might actually see some of the uh, original three die. That'd be exciting. Now that's the conversation every time a new screen movie comes out. Yeah. Who knows? This is is this the first one since Craven uh, passed? Uh, yes. That makes sense. But yeah, uh, this is uh, uh, my mistake. It's actually 24 years after uh, the first movie, and it just happens to be that that's also the 25th anniversary of the death of Sydney's mother in the movies, because the first movie was the one-year anniversary. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, and this one seems to have, based on the trailer, it seems like he has a specific connection to the original murders, not any of the subsequent ones, but specifically that original string of murders, which leads to the possibility that Matthew Lillard's character is still alive and thus committing the murders. Well, Matthew Lillard is very adamant about being alive because he's even made the promise that someone can throw a TV on his head, and if he lives, Stu's still alive, but if he dies, then I guess he's dead. Yeah, because we don't actually, see, according to Matthew Lillard, we don't actually see Stu die. We see a TV fall at him. They added a bunch of digital sparks effects, and he's very convinced that he could survive a TV dropping on him. So <laughs> Stu's still alive in his mind and just went to prison and has maybe been released at this point. Yep, so I, I'm very curious to see how this goes. But yeah, the killer very much has a connection to the original murders, and we're going to see what that is as the story unfolds, I guess. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I am too. I'm a big fan of the Scream franchise, and each of them kind of tackles something within like the genre. So, like you know, horror movies in general, the sequel, the end of a trilogy, the uh, soft reboot. soft reboot, and this one is more of the revisiting or restarting a story years later. Yeah, the thing Hollywood's been doing lately of taking series that ended 30 years ago and deciding to remake the movie. Because the iron's still hot, I guess. Yeah, much um, like your Trons and your uh, Blade Runners and such. 
Yeah. Except now it screams us. Yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Uh, but in uh, another topic, uh, also on the topic of anniversary of parents' death, uh, the new Batman trailer came out. Yes! Uh, sorry, I don't know why that stopped my brain. Um, Is it my amazing this... segues? Sure. Let's go with that. Um, so this is the one with Colin Farrell, who's definitely not actually Colin Farrell. It's just they got an old guy, but they're claiming it's Colin Farrell for casting purposes. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, going to be a really good, like... It looks like it's almost going to be Nolan-esque for, like, the realistic approach to things. But with the way the story is based off, like, along Halloween, in a sense... There was a lot of questions of, is there going to ha have that, like, you know, meta power, supernatural aspect to it? Hopefully. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, gritty stuff we've seen, but nothing really concrete. Uh, and Robin Bat, Bat and Bat, of course, playing Batman, and I'm very curious to see... Wielding a bat. Yeah, he does wield a bat in uh, the trailer. Yep. Inception. Robin Bat, Bat and Bat. Yeah, pretty much all we know about the plot is uh, something gets started or set off due to the Riddler getting himself caught is very much implied, and then it's a race against time to unravel the mystery. Yeah, the one thing I was thinking when I was watching the trailer is it looks like there's a lot of plot lines going on, and not that I'm saying uh, it will have this problem, but it very easily could have the problem of uh, the third Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie in that it could very easily just have a whole bunch of plots uh, and just kind of smush them together into one ending. If it does what it... It also could just as easily uh, drop several plot lines halfway through or set them up to be resolved in future movies. And if it does that, then I'm kind of into it. I'm just... I am concerned that it could be overstuffed with plot and not handle it very well. Well, it's always the risk with any of these comic book movies, especially when they're starting off a new one. Uh, there's always that feeling you need to rush to get to the good stuff, when the people that do that tend to end up in the problem that DC did, where they were rushing to things like, you know, the death of Superman and Darkseid within, like, three movies, whereas they're trying to just catch up to what Marvel did, and they had the slow burn for the longest time. Yeah, the trick is Marvel took the time, and everyone else is trying to jump to the end right now. Um... I get why it's just concerning because if you Marvel just time Sorry. you need the time to build up the world. Yeah, if Marvel just started with the Avengers movie and didn't have the four or five that came before it, it wouldn't have been nearly as good. Yeah, not nearly as much connection with the world or the characters in it. Or just knowledge of what's happening exactly. for all that. And like, I can see why they want to do it, because they have the established universe already in the comic books, and if they do just uh, already jump to points when characters are already established, and just resolve plots that have already been developed, uh, comic book fans are going to be fucking fine, because they understand the plots, they understand the reference, they'll have a great time. The trick is they're not going to be able to drive in the outside moviegoers, because they won't want to take the time to read a whole bunch of comic books to understand the plot that's going on in the movie. Well, the other thing they have to take into account, too, is there is a level of understanding about comics in the cultural zeitgeist now. So I think, for example, I don't think we need 
Martha and Thomas Wayne getting gunned down at the beginning of the movie to understand Batman's motivations. Everyone knows what Batman's about right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same reason we didn't get Uncle Ben in the MCU. Uh, yeah, I don't need to see someone's parents gunned down so many times. Especially with, like, the slow-mo watching the pearl necklace fall to the fucking ground. I understand you want people to understand why this is happening. You don't need to go into that much detail. There are certain uh, aspects of the plot that are just a part of cultural zeitgeist at this point. You don't need to keep ha uh, hitting the hammer. Exactly. Hammering the nail. Hitting the hammer? What the fuck was that, Peter? You know what I was trying to say. Well, I agree to um, it anyways. I understand. Yeah, uh, but anyways, now that we've gone on a whole tangent about risks associated with overdeveloping a universe, I still am looking forward to the Batman movie, and I've been saying, I mean, I was saying it beforehand, but especially since seeing Tenet, I fully believe that uh, Robert Bat Batman-Bat uh, could do a fantastic job. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so another interesting trailer we got was for the Uncharted movie with Tom Holland. Ah, yes. Uh, this one where we got a whole bunch of posts on the internet about how it's not too late to redo the casting for that movie. Which, <laughs> I hate to break it to them, but it kind of fucking is. Because if they're releasing a trailer like that, they've probably done most of their principal filming at this point. So, if not uh, yeah. all of it. Honestly, I don't mind Tom Holland as Nathan Drake. In fact, this looks like a slightly younger Nathan Drake. Like, it, looking at this, at the character of Nathan Drake within the games, Tom Holland looks like a younger version of that with this, uh, like how he's done up for this. My problem is currently Mark Wahlberg being Sully. Yeah, so, first of all, <laughs> the follow-up point to me saying people complaining about it, or suggesting it's not too late to redo the casting, uh, first of all, they seem to be thinking along the Sonic movie uh, yeah, lines, no. where if they this complain, they can fix it. This is live action. They can't. But also, I mean, yeah, if I... they imposed a mustache on Mark Wahlberg, maybe. But I also completely agree with you where Tom Holland, like, especially if this is less so supposed to be taking place during the games, but more so kind of like, like, uh, fucking uh, Nathan Drake just before the games, like some of his first adventures then I'm fully on board with Tom Holland playing that role. He really does just look like a younger version of Nathan Drake. Well, I actually um, believe it's supposed to be It's just its own thing. I don't think it's going to actually have direct tie-ins with the movie. It might have homages to the movies. Like, for example, the hanging out the uh, back of the airplane is yes. kind of an homage to what happened in the third game, but it's clearly not the third game. <laughs> yeah, no, I should clarify. I don't mean that, like, this will lead into the games. I just mean, like chronologically, in theory, this takes place with a younger Nathan Drake than the Nathan Drake we see in the games. Yeah, which well, would have to be because Mark Wahlberg also isn't gray-haired, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's easy to fix. Yeah, impose well, yeah, just... the gray hair and mustache on him. That that or would just, make yeah. it a lot better. Or just dye your hair. Anything, if there's anything we've learned from the fucking uh, Justice League movie, imposing a mustache on top of a character who doesn't have a mustache... No, this was digitally removing a mustache. Yeah. But that worked out perfectly well, so I can't imagine imposing a mustache would be yeah, flawlessly. Yeah. You know, funny enough, my only concern with this movie, because I, I think the movie's going to be what it needs to be. It's going to be, you know, that popcorn action movie. That's what Uncharted is. Yeah, Uncharted already is just a popcorn action game. It's... I'm perfectly all right with the video, uh, the movie being that as well. My concern is Mark Wahlberg being too Mark Wahlberg in this movie. 
Yeah, it does kind of seem like it's less of Mark Wahlberg playing Sully, and more so Mark Wahlberg playing Mark Wahlberg playing Sully. Uh, like, there's just that extra degree of separation, which probably won't be bad, but could very easily be bad. If he does that Mark Wahlberg voice thing, I'll be upset. The, like, slightly raised pitch voice where he's confused? What? What? Yeah, if he does that... No! Uh, to be fair, it feels like a lot of Mark Wahlberg's recent roles have been a parody of Mark Wahlberg, so it's kind of hard to imagine that doesn't happen, but, uh... Who knows? We'll see. I'm on board with it. I've said before that I also enjoy Tom Holland as an actor, so I'm fully willing to see him in other stuff outside of Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Tom Holland I have no problem <laughs> with. It's just, I want the Sully, uh, the Sully that took a hooker to church. I don't know why you would want that, but okay. <laughs> it's the line from the, uh, the first game, where they're walking through the desert, and he's like, I'm sweating like a hooker at church. And then Nathan replies with, you took a hooker to church? I, I understand that. I'm just asking, do you actually want a scene where Sully takes a hooker to church? Is that what you're suggesting? I'm just saying Mark Wahlberg doesn't seem like the type of person that would do that. And that's if not he Sully. Can, <clears throat> if he, he can... He, he needs a bigger mustache for that. Yeah, but if he can deliver the same sort of bravado or character feeling, then that's an accomplishment. I'm going to be honest, guys, I would not be the least bit surprised to hear a news story break tomorrow that Mark Wahlberg has taken hookers to church. Like, if that news story broke tomorrow, I would have no surprise inside of me. Celebrity is as celebrity does. But yes, I could see how you would want him to be uh, slightly more Sully-esque. You know, the problem is, the ideal Sully actor has died. And has been dead yes. for some time. And that was Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds would have been the ideal Sully. Yeah, Burt Reynolds definitely would have been a fantastic fucking uh, Sully. So naturally, just like, you need to act that's like Burt Reynolds, and Mark Wahlberg is not that. Yeah, I just Unfortunately, hope that, uh, he died three years ago. Yeah, I just hope that Mark Wahlberg does not sully the name. I was waiting for that. Not that one particularly, <laughs> but a pun. <laughs> All right, so uh, anything else going on in the world? Because that conversation's clearly fucking over. Uh, so we got a trailer for the Lightyear movie. Oh, yeah, the Buzz Lightyear movie. Uh, that one uh, I watched earlier today, actually. It looks like it's, like, yes, it's a Buzz Lightyear movie, uh, which raises some questions about when in the fuck does it take place? Because the Buzz Lightyear toy is based off of the man who did all these exploits, um, like, is based off an actual human man in the story of Toy Story. Um, but the technology of the Lightyear movie seems to be very far advanced compared to the technology of the Toy Story movie. So I have some questions about when exactly this movie takes place, uh, but I'm not overly concerned about that. Um, I don't know. I think it looks fun. It's clearly meant to be, like, a love letter to sci-fi movies with all the different references and homages that are happening throughout the trailer and presumably the rest of the movie. Yeah, but aside from that, it's like it's what you'd expect from your standard sci-fi, like going into space movie. They use one of the two David Bowie songs that you use for space movies. Oh, yeah, Starman. Yep. Uh, I guess they just felt that... Uh... Major Tom? Yeah, Major Tom was overused. Uh, to be fair, 
we only saw Starman in the trailer. That does not mean Major Tom doesn't also appear in the movie, just not in the trailer. Yeah, and also it's Space Odyssey, not Major Tom. Uh, yeah, sorry, Space Odyssey. <laughs> uh, but uh, my favorite thing to come out of this trailer was the fact that the trailer ends with them go doing the two infinity and not finishing the catchphrase. And then immediately everyone's like, it's so weird that we have two instances of Chris Evans saying a famous line and not finishing it. Yeah, he's fucking teasing us all over again. Um, it's tease wasn't the right word, but fuck it, I said it now. Um, I don't know. I think it looks fun. They there's like a whole bunch of Star Wars references throughout the trailer. The fact that he clearly lands on Dagobah at some point, um, that's fun. I don't know. I'm gonna end up seeing it at the very least. Oh yeah. Uh, also, uh, yeah, I am definitely gonna see it. And there's one other movie I want to talk about. But in the process of getting ready to talk about the movie, I just realized there is another actor that is alive that I think could play an amazing Sully. Oh? Bruce Campbell. Oh! Bruce Campbell's definitely the type of man that would take a hooker to church. I uh, See, I was picturing, for some reason, because this is not uh, the way I should have been doing it, I was picturing uh, Bruce Campbell circa Army of Darkness, and while he definitely had the personality to uh, play Sully, I couldn't visually picture him, him as Sully. So I had to Google modern day Bruce Campbell, and yes, he could absolutely <laughs> play Sully. Yeah, modern day Bruce Campbell could play Sully. It would be beautiful. And the reason I'm talking about Bruce Campbell is because we have a movie coming out called Black Friday. I don't know if you guys have heard about this one. Nope. I have not. So Black Friday is a movie with Bruce Campbell. Uh, he's the store manager, and it's the Black Friday sale about to start. And uh, they're ushering people into the store, and then all of a sudden, a zombie outbreak happens. Interesting. But the zombies aren't, like, mindless zombies. They seem to have some level of intelligence, and they're building something in the store with all the store items. Alright. Yeah, so... Uh, I'll bite. Yep. I'm a Bruce Campbell fan, and this seems like, like, ideal Bruce Campbell scenarios. So I'm very <laughs> much looking forward to what's going to happen in this movie. This is, uh, for some reason, like, I'm not convinced this doesn't take place in the same universe as Army of Darkness, because he does work at, like, a big box store, uh, was it, like, Smart and Final or something like that was the store from Army of Darkness? Whatever it was, where he, uh, got a shotgun that he brought back in time to the Army of Darkness, well, not back in time, to a parallel universe for Army of Darkness. Uh, I remember that movie very clearly, because I definitely watched it within the past decade. Uh, also, the store is called S-Mart. S-Mart! Smart, shop smart, shop S-Mart, yep. Yep. I'm so glad that you remembered that, because I was going to say it if you didn't. Yep. Uh, the moment I heard S-Mart, I remembered his fucking catchphrase. <laughs> shop smart, shop S-Mart. Oh, so fucking good. I'm going to go to limb here and say Matt's never watched these movies. Nope. Uh, Matt, I know your feelings on uh, spooky movies. Uh, Army of Darkness is a fucking comedy that's filmed like a spooky movie. It's a dark um, comedy. It's a dark comedy. There's... Uh, he fights uh, evil miniature clones of himself because he breaks a mirror and then drinks boiling water after they climb inside of him to kill them. Um, Alright. <laughs> that's just one scene. There's the scene where he has to collect the uh, Necronomicon 
uh, and he's told the very specific phrase that he has to uh, say to pick it up, Klaatu Aero Nosferatu or something like that, but he forgets the final word. Well, you would have and, done it then the same way he did. Yep. Klaatu Aero Nosferatu. And then just picks it up. Uh, it's a very amusing movie. It's also uh, Klaatu Barada Nikto. Klaatu Barada Nikto. Barada. Barada. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm not picking it up soon. <laughs> But yeah, he gets the he gets the clot to Barada, and then he goes <laughs> and looks around and then picks the book up. Yeah. Uh, Let's not forget like the part where of... he trains a bunch of blacksmiths in this medieval village how to fix his car and make explosives so he can fight the evil hordes. Oh yeah. my god. Um, he starts dating a woman in the past, and then one of his evil clones survives and starts dating her. Uh, it's a whole thing. Um, very silly, very enjoyable. Yeah. There's the scene when he gets back with the Necronomicon and, like, chief wizard of the town is like, now, did you say the exact words exactly right? He's like, I got them mostly right. and It doesn't really matter. It's good. It, it mattered. It, it did matter. Anyway, the point we're getting Army across of the that, dead. I think you would like Army of Darkness. The only thing that most people would have a problem with, it's not so much scary as it is gory. But yes, that it, happens when your main character has a chainsaw arm. A chainsaw yeah. arm and wields a shotgun. Uh, there's, there's a point to gore Sorry, in the movies. Like, there's a point to gore in movies. There's the point you cross where it goes from realistic to just overly excessive, and it instantly desensitizes you. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous gore in this one. Like Ninja Assassin. Ninja Assassin's good. Yeah. Anyways, uh, watch it. Not just you, Matt, but literally anyone listening to this podcast who hasn't watched Army of Darkness, watch Army of Darkness. Yeah, Bruce Campbell is a gem. List. Bruce Campbell is a gem. Just watch whatever he, put, he puts out. Yeah. Put it on the list right after Deep Blue Sea. I mean, the other ones, uh, Ash vs. the Evil Dead, like, still had some dark comedy aspects. They were a little bit, it, at least in my opinion, it might have just been because I was younger when I watched them. Uh, they were a little bit uh, spookier, shall I say. Then Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness kind of got rid of all of that, and it was just very humorous to watch. Well, well just to clarify, Evil Dead 1, and then Evil Dead 2 is kind of a pseudo-remake of Evil Dead 1 that adds more, because it leans more into the campiness, but it's still a horror movie in a sense, but it leans more yeah. into the campiness, because that's what people liked about the first one, where it was accidentally campy. Yes. Then 3 just fully goes into it, and then Ash vs. Evil Dead is the TV show that had two seasons. That's right. Ash vs. Evil Dead was the TV show. Yeah, and it's uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and then Army of Darkness, and then they have the remakes starting in, like, 2013 was the next one. Yeah, but Whatever. honestly, you can just watch Evil Dead 2 and skip one. Yeah, uh, Evil Dead 2, and then Army of Darkness, and then anything else we ever tell you to watch. Hmm. Duly noted. It's also got Sam Raimi, so if you're a fan of the Spider-Man movies, it's got him. It, also uh, has not, Campbell. it doesn't have him, it's directed by him. I mean, uh, the Spider movies by Sam Raimi also have Bruce Campbell. Yes. Who was supposed right. to be Mysterio in the script for uh, for the original Spider-Man 4. Of course he was. Alright, was there anything else we wanted to talk about before we get to our main topic? No, the Bruce Campbell stuff was kind of my last point. Cool. In that case, uh, once again, for our one fan out there who doesn't read the titles ahead of time because they understand that that is the best way to 
listen to this podcast. Almost said watch. This is not a visual medium. This is an auditory medium. Anyways, for that one person who doesn't know what we're talking about yet, what we are talking about is, in fact, the Netflix series uh, from Korea, South Korea entitled Squid Game. Uh, we're talking about squids today uh, and also not, the games that they play. Not Splatoon. We are talking about squids and the games that they play. Yes, not Splatoon. Uh, mostly, like, I believe they play Red Light, Green Light, and... Uh, and Honeycomb. Tug of War, and, yeah, Honeycomb, Sugar Crush, or whatever the actual... Popogi? Yeah. <laughs> Popogi? Uh, Dalgona. It's just Dalgona is the name of the game. Uh, and then also something I wouldn't know how to pronounce. Marbles, Bridge uh, of Doom, and Squid Game. Oh, and also... Uh, Beat the shit out of each other. That's also one of them. Oh yeah, I mean, Secret, just, but just like back in my school days. Yeah. Uh. So, anyways, this is uh. Before we get into it, as always, I just want to know what your guys' thoughts, like in general, did you enjoy the series? Did you not enjoy the series? What was your generic reaction to the series before we start talking about the plot itself? In general, I enjoyed it. But I would have enjoyed it a lot more if the main character it focused on was someone I actually cared about. Follow-up question before we get to Keith's opinion on the series. Were there any of the 456 people that you actually cared about? Yes. It... Oh, which one? Pickpocket. Uh, Fair. The guy that died immediately in the Red Light Green Light game is the one I cared about. <laughs> I like that. I started relating to 69 right at the end of his arc, but other than that. Of course he did. <laughs> Alright, so uh, <laughs> let's uh, start off. Oh yeah, Keith, what, your opinions? I <laughs> you got Matt's opinion and then moved on from caring about people's opinions, I guess. Uh, so uh, I, I, I actually, uh, generically, was more invested in the main character. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the series. Um, the one thing I will say before we talk about any plot was it did a fantastic job of making me feel tense the entire time I was watching it, um, which is very cathartic because then once you're done watching it, all that tension just melts away and you feel like you're not actually tense, even though you realize you're just back to your base level of uncomfortable. Actually, the uh, funny thing is uh, uh, the running joke that uh, when uh, we were watching it together, uh, not you guys, but I was watching it, so other people that the main character always finishes the challenge with seconds to spare. So we would always joke like, well, yeah, of course he's in the back line. He's got to finish it at the last second and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's Batman's superpower. It's finishing things at the last second. He'll win no matter what, as long as it's at the last second. Oh, 100%. That, and he has the power of friendship like any other uh, anime main character. Uh, not that this was an anime, it's just... That is a common power for them to have, I guess. So, actual fucking plot time. I don't know why I swore there. Uh, episode numero uno, entitled Red Light, Green Light, uh, opens up with uh, a bunch of kids playing a game entitled The Squid Game, because the playing area, which is just uh, shapes drawn onto sand, roughly resembles that of a squid. We're in a triangle, mostly. And a couple well, circles. A couple small circles and rectangles. Yeah. Um, I don't think we really need to get into the specifics of how Squid Game works. If no. you want to understand the mechanics of how Squid Game works, watch the fucking series. It's <laughs> relatively straightforward, but also 
not straightforward enough that I'm willing to explain it right now. Uh, or if it's okay. actually a real game, which I'm still not sure on, be South Korean. Then you'll know how the game works. Yeah, that also would work. Yeah, so it's a childhood game. Apparently, it's a super violent uh, childhood game, uh, according to multiple people in the series. Also, quick cursory Google. Yeah, just live in Korea, and you would know what the Squid Game is. Huh. Um, uh, specifically, if you're from Korea and in your 40s or 50s, because it was only popular in the 70s and 80s. That's a thing. Uh, so we see that. Then we cut to modern day 2020, so semi-modern day. And we see that the main character who we're now following, the guy who was narrating his experiences playing the Squid Game as a child, whose name is Gihan, is not living the best life now that he's an adult. No, seems not at all. Rather down on his luck, and apparently has an enormous amount of debt to loan sharks. Yeah, because we quickly learn that he has a huge gambling problem, and he steals money from his mother to gamble with. <laughs> yeah. That scene, like, they do not do a good job of uh, making you invested in the main character. I can see why you weren't a fan of him, because, like, the opening scene of him as an adult is him begging his mother to give him money so that he can buy a gift for his daughter, waiting for her to leave, stealing her debit card, taking money out of her account without her consent, gambling that on horse races, and then using essentially as much money as he was originally given by her, and using that to uh, buy... Uh, tickets at a claw machine to try and win a gift for his daughter because that was his only option left. He's not very humanized in the first episode, I'll put no. it that way. I know, but the, I think the the thing that the show kind of shows off, which and ultimately kind of gets like justified in that last game that he plays, in a sense, is he is one of those good people and that's ultimately what gets him to where he is it's oh, he's uh, kind of a shitty person but like he is a good person i guess is the best way to put it uh, yeah that's a good way to put it he's a shitty person uh, he's a shitty person but he's a decent human being yeah. as evidenced by the fact that so when he's at the horse races he ends up betting on his child's birthday uh which is the current date because uh heads up not a great dad um, and, uh, so he gambles on it. He manages to win 4.56 million won, uh, which I did a quick Google so that I could put it into terms I understand. And a thousand won is roughly one Canadian dollar. So that's roughly $4.5,000 Canadian. Um, and Pretty so, good. yeah, it's not a bad day's take. Uh, he wins 45 or 4.5 million won, 4.56 if we want to be specific. And then starts running away because he sees the bad dudes that he owes money to, loan sharks, that's the word, thank you, Peter. Sees the loan shark, starts running away from them, runs into a poor woman, uh, and while being chased by loan sharks, who he knows wants to do him bodily harm, still takes the time to like help her stand back up, pick up her drink, put her straw back in her drink, because he doesn't want to fuck someone else over other unless they're his mom, I guess. <laughs> or his daughter. Or his daughter. Uh, fair, he, he, I, he never directly fucks over his daughter. Uh, he no, doesn't he's... want to fuck over his daughter. I would argue that him gambling was him trying to do something nice for his daughter. Like, yes, it's for, it's the worst way possible to go about it. But yeah, but for his character, the fact that it's established he has a huge gambling problem, that's the only way he sees that he can make money. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he wants to get enough money. I would argue that his reasoning for it is less so to pay off his debts, because if he wanted to pay off his debts, he would go towards the loan sharks and just give them the money he won and his debts would be settled. Um, or maybe not settled, but he would help pay them down, at the very least. Um, but I think it's uh, his main reasoning for doing that, or what he would have done if he had managed to walk away with the money, is actually bought a proper dinner for his daughter and yeah, maybe bought her uh, as well. Admittedly, his mother had uh, suggested that he take his daughter out for uh, just a, not like essentially a fast food dinner, because that's her daughter, his daughter's favorite meal. Yeah, fried. But he, he wanted to do something extravagant for her instead. Little did he know that fried chicken was the best option because yeah. she isn't allowed to have unhealthy fast food. Uh, and she already had a steak dinner from her stepdad, and he's a much better father than she could ever, or he's a much better father than Gihan could ever be. Uh, unfortunately. So, yes, um, that is the things that happen. Yeah, and uh, ultimately he has to have this character flaw of like being really shitty with money and stuff like that, otherwise he wouldn't end up in the st story. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the point I tried to make earlier when I asked if you actually did feel uh, that there were any positive people in that room, because the whole point that we kind of get revealed is there's a couple good people in that room. I would argue Ali is another one of the good people in the room. Yeah. Um, there were three... Uh, Ollie is an interesting was... debate that can fall on either side, though. That's fair. Ollie mm -hmm. does have failings, but most people in that room are unambiguously shitty people because of the fact that they're entirely there because they fucked up. Like, everyone in the room is there because they fucked up money. Most of the people are there because they stole money from someone else and then lost it and now need to make money back before the dangerous person hurts them. Yeah, there's three people that I can pick out who I don't believe are bad at all. Like, they've been in bad circumstances and have done bad things, but they are good people through and through. So the pickpocket is one of them, presumably. Pickpocket's one. But then... we have confirmed that she killed people. Oh yeah, she's a North <laughs> Korean spy. And she but... also tries to slit that guy's throat at the beginning. Yeah, but... Also, I... Was it confirmed that she was North Korean spy, or well, I thought she was just a... It wasn't confirmed. She wasn't a spy, she escaped North Korea. She escaped, yeah, from, she North escaped Korea, from North Korea, and people just assumed as such. Yeah, because someone from North Korea in South Korea, they're going to get suspicious, where she's just trying to escape from the hellhole that is North Korea, and pay her family's way out as well. Yeah. Which is how she ended up in the money problems. Um, she also did work for uh, Chief Meathead, the the bad guy. The like the antagonist in the room of the 456 players. Uh, I think it was 212 was his number. Uh, he also had a name uh, that I don't remember. Mr. Tattoo Face. Uh, it's like Day, isn't it? Something um, like that. Uh... Uh, Diaksu. Uh, 101 was his number. Um, yes, sorry. Uh, so, Pickpocket's one of your good people. And Allie. And then, uh, the girl that Pickpocket played marbles with at the end, or near the end. Yeah, actually, I changed my mind. I think that girl at the end that was teamed up with uh, her was definitely a good one in the game as well. Yeah. I guess, uh... 
we don't know a lot about that character because we don't know what her motivations for being there, what money trouble she's in. Oh. All we know is that she decided she doesn't really have anything she would do if she won, so yeah, she cause... sacrifices herself for someone else. Yeah, yeah we kind of her family. We learn that she has nothing, and she figured, why not do this? So I guess she was presented this opportunity for whatever reason. That reason, we don't know. But she just took the reason, or she just took the opportunity because, well, she had nothing else to do with her life. Yeah, well, essentially it was her... her father killed her mother and then she killed her father yeah and she had nothing and that's it was something essentially was what the game was and the name of the mm -hmm. character was ji young yeah also pickpocket's name was Cy Biok, uh if we want to start saying that all right so anyways uh lots of less than good people are apparently met in subways or random parks around mm -hmm. korea and are offered the opportunity to play a very simple game of Dokji, uh, where you throw paper cards at each other on the ground, and if you manage to make your opponents flip over, then you win that round, with the stakes being, uh, if one of these poor people wins a round, they are given 10,000 won, so roughly 10 bucks Canadian, if you want to make the comparison. And if uh, they, the enemy manages to get one, then they get to slap the poor person across the face. That is the stakes that the, it's not initially presented, but they work them up to those stakes uh, to kind of gauge whether or not these people are willing to sacrifice their body in exchange for money. Well, actually, there's an interesting theory about this game uh, that uh, you guys might have heard of already, but it's uh, people notice that everyone who picks uh, the blue side, which the main character does, uh, all the people in the game picked the blue marker, but we never see anyone that picked the red marker, and the idea is that all the circle-masked uh, uh, guards, essentially, workers, are people that pick the red side. Interesting. Uh, I did read that theory. Unfortunately, uh, we do see exactly one person playing with uh, Red Dokji uh, during that, when he's like calling out all the people in that scene and saying, this is why you're all here. This is videos of you playing. One of the people we see playing is wielding a red one, so I don't think that's the case. Uh, I do believe the creator uh huang dong hyuk or however you pronounce his name i apologize already um has come out and said that this was mostly based on a scene from a manhwa he enjoyed which is why it's red and blue the significance of the colors don't actually matter oh i guess but, that means that the idea of where those circle face uh ones are coming from is still out in the open yeah mm -hmm. uh that is potentially a plot point that could be uh resolved in, in season, season two, two. um that or Buddy, who was playing with the red one, was a goof, a gaff, a mistake, and we will get it revealed that the ones playing with red ones were, in fact, the uh, recruited to be the purple mask or pink suits, black mask people. It could be revealed. I don't know. Um, we'll see. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they're presented with that opportunity, and then uh, they're given a card and told that if they want to play for even more money with some other similar type games, uh, that they have to call a business card. And when they call it, they are entered into the games. Uh, um, another thing I want to kind of point out here, uh, and this is me going on a bit of a tangent, but 
the most villainous character in this so far is that guy that plays Doxu with them. To me. Yeah. Because, uh, like, that, that final scene of when uh, Gi ends up seeing him across the platform runs over, and they have that little, like, showdown. Like, look at it, like, oh, God, I hope these guys fight at the end. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't know the name. I don't think we get the name of the character. Uh, but he is absolutely the most, like, part of the system person in that fucking series. Yeah, right yeah. now he's a nameless, like, essentially scout. Yeah, I think he's. I think his like in the cast, he's like scout or recruiter or something like that. But yeah, like the the villainous like showdown vibes all came mm -hmm. from him. Like even though we have you know the front man who is clearly supposed to be like the big villain, that's like directly affecting the people and like the VIPs are more of like they're the audience in a sense. Yeah, because that... near the beginning, we so... get the plot point or we get. A little bit of information saying, well, he is the front man, but he's not the overseer. He's not the head of it all. But we don't learn who, like the the person behind it all is. Um, sorry, I just want to go back uh, half step uh, when we were talking about the salesman who was in charge of recruiting them into the game, essentially. Um, so that was played by a guy by the name of Gong Yu. Uh, and the thing he's most famous for is a small film called Train to Busan. Uh, and they had a really fun Easter egg related to him where that final scene where we see him and their exchange at the end of the series, uh, the way he gets out of that and walks away is by getting on a Train to Busan. So that was just a fun little <laughs> nod they made to his role in other move or in other media. Nice. Uh, but yes, um, the VIPs aren't really in charge but they're kind of the main antagonists um there's some secret head of the games controlling things from behind the scenes or maybe in front of the scenes who knows we don't really know exactly who he is yeah yeah, but yeah the he VIPs, or she is the vips definitely come more of they're the funding but they're not like the vips they never don't... felt like the villains really they're more no. there for entertainment they're the audience in a sense yeah they're the stand-ins for us who are getting enjoyment from watching the series it's literally the role they play, and it's to make us feel like shitty people for enjoying the series. And in all honesty, uh, this is a bit weird to say, but the frontman didn't come off as evil to me. He was very adamant about the rules being kept as is. Yeah. Oh, the frontman was actually one of my favorite characters in the series because of how like stringent he was on, like the reveal we get in I think it's episode four or uh, episode five, uh, episode five entitled "A Fair World." When it's, uh, the front man essentially cleans house and kills all the people, not because they were harvesting organs from the contestants after they died. He said during that fucking exchange, he couldn't care less what they do to the people after they die. It's entirely the fact that they were giving information to one of the players and, uh, breaking the fair structure of the game, uh, is the entire reason he killed a whole bunch of people. Yeah, and he even gives the speech and the, his confrontation with his brother at the end about the whole, like, it's about fairness and they have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, a chance that sure. they have in the outside world. Yeah. Sure, what they're doing is uh, very morally and legally questionable, but, um, yeah, no, it's all about fairness and equality between everyone. And some people deserve that more than others. Yes. The first kind of introduction we get to the fact that the games aren't just getting slapped across the face in exchange for money uh, comes in the end of episode one when they start playing red light, green light. 
yes. the first and of the games. I, I do have to say, um, it's an interesting stylistic choice in the game areas because, well, they're in a secret facility, like indoors the entire time, but then the game rooms that they go to are all, well, they're walled in, but they don't have any roof over them. Like, they're opened to the sky. So, the scenes are always white, for most of the part in the games, whitewashed with the light from the day that they only get to see during these games. It's, like, heavily saturated with light and we lose a lot of detail. But it makes, gotta say, it makes all of the blood pop a lot more in the scenes. Well, that's definitely what it's about. Uh, that's another one of the key stylistic choices. Um, where everyone's wearing those kind of uh, light green track suits. Uh, the director came out and said the reason for that was he originally was planning on styling them kind of like school uniforms and then figured that that wouldn't work as well for what he was planning. Uh, and so he pivoted from that into the track suit so everyone looks the same and everyone's on a fair playing field. Mm -hmm. No one sticks out because of the clothes that they're wearing. And then he specifically chose the color so that the red was as different to it as possible and popped as much as possible when blood uh, got on their tracksuits. Uh, and so the shooting it under a bright shining sun was probably also to make the blood pop as much as possible. Mm. Yeah, and like that it also takes on the fact of like uh, their red is a symbol of like uh, the oppressor or the person that's a part of the system controlling and then green is the person who is a player, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then that's also a fun little nod we get to uh, the kind of... Oh, what's his name? The frontman. Sorry, I don't know why I forgot that. Uh, if, if you like, make the connection of the players are all wearing green and the controllers are all wearing the red or pinkish stuff stuff whereas the front man is wearing all black meaning he not meaning that but there's some kind of symbolism of him being all the colors at once um i guess i understand with light all the colors makes white not black but with pigment it goes the opposite direction um so it's kind of symbolizing the fact that he is both player and uh manager at the same time yeah. both and neither find, at once we find out later that he is one of the previous victors who has come back to uh, not be in complete control, because there's still that secret man behind the scenes controlling everything, but he is the front man in charge of all day-to-day -day operations. Yeah, effectively he would be the equivalent of a director of the, this year's games, or this mm -hmm. games, because we also get the implication that the games happen more than once a year. Yeah, and they happen all around the world, and it just so happens that Korea's games are the best ones, uh, according to the VIPs that we meet later. So yeah, there's a lot of color theory that goes on in this show as well. Yeah. Uh, now, like uh, the fact that... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was uh, just going to uh, go on uh, a color theory tangent. Go, go on the color theory tangent, because my thing is actually going away from this. Okay. So uh, one fucking Redditor came up with a whole color theory uh, wheel by using the whole pigment thing again uh, and splitting people into... Uh, blue represents person, yellow represents... Uh, money and green represents the system. That's not right. I forget what the third color was. Um, but essentially, when a person strives for, for money, 
they end up the combination of blue and yellow, and that's why they become green. Whereas when a person strives for the system, I guess the color of the system was red, uh, they end up magenta, which is why you have the controllers all wearing those colors. I don't remember it. This was a bad tangent for me to go on. I'll track it down later, and we can maybe link to the Redditor's post in the description of this episode. Um, I apologize. This is... A, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, so uh, there's something I, I want to bring up, uh, and that's even though the frontman makes a very adamant thing about everything being fair and not influencing the games, there is one game in this whole thing where it gets fucking rigged all to hell, and that's the oh, yeah. glass bridge. Uh, so, well, yes. Yes and no, in a sense. To be fair, the two games that people bring up as signs that the game isn't perfectly fair and balanced are the Glass Bridge and the Dalgona game. People complain that people who got the Umbrella are fucked and people who got the Triangle have a significantly easier time at that game. But the game for Dalgona wasn't the actual carving it out of the sugar. The game was picking the right shape uh, is the whole idea of that one. So it's not a matter of it being unbalanced. Um, whereas with... Uh, the bridge one, the game didn't come down to the actual picking panels. The game came down to picking the right position uh, out of the numbers in the early game. And, and the part I'm talking about specifically is they turned down the lights so the guy who figured out how to get across can't do it anymore. Yeah, yes. that, the reason they did that was because like, it was an unfair advantage for that one person. Because no one else, no one else who went before him had that same qualification to be able to determine the difference between tempered glass and regular glass. But why not also do something about the surgeon who was doing the Delgona game, who could clearly carve out uh, something very easily? Yeah, that's true. He would, in theory, have much steadier hands and have a much easier time carving. Regardless of him knowing what shape to pick, the fact that he could do the carving that much easier was a little bit unbalanced. Yeah, the whole concept is, like, they're all fair and even that they going into these games, they don't know what the games are, so they all have an equal chance. Someone bringing outside knowledge, say someone didn't know how to play Red Light, Green Light, but other True. people do, does that mean that we have to change the game because not everyone knows how to play the game? It kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, that, that was my one problem, was that the glass bridge, them turning off the lights, was them directly influencing the game. To be fair, that was, was also coming down to less so the frontman's decision to keep things fair and balanced, and more so the VIPs putting their thumbs on the scale, because unfortunately, while the frontman might want to keep things balanced, his isn't the vote that matters the most in that situation, it's more so the VIPs. Yeah, because the VIPs are what keeps the whole thing going. Yeah. Uh, also, and, like, uh, also, like, their fair the amount of fairness, I imagine, would extend to, uh, well, everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses, so make it fair by making sure no one knows ahead of time what the game's going to be. Yeah. Because, uh, like, sure, we get the information that they know every detail about these participants, their strengths and their weaknesses, but they don't comb through each and every participant to find out, okay, what would be an even playing field for everyone. To be fair, based on... So, he, like, looks at the... Uh, that player, I forget the player's number, but he looks at his like data sheet, and that's where he sees that he worked in a factory where they tempered glass, and that's how he has this information. But based on what he was looking there, 
that guy has more than one advantage because according to that cheat, he was also 123 years old. <laughs> no, 133. Sorry, 133 years old. So that guy might have had more than one advantage going into that fucking game if he still looked that young at that yeah. age. Unfortunate that his that. one weakness was fall damage. Yeah, because it uh, it listed his date of birth as 1897 or 1887. <laughs> to, to so be, to yeah. be fair, if that man is immortal in that concept, we never saw a body after he fell. <laughs> this is very true. We couldn't have seen the body. The lights were turned off before he fell. He's coming back in season two in a tempered uh, glass box. Uh, that guy did make another mistake, though, and this is something that uh, was pointed out to me afterwards. Uh, if he had to figure out the sound of the glass, why didn't he just drop the marble on his own glass panel and then throw it together to see if the sound matched up? Well, because yeah. he he's on the glass panel, so it would change the sound anyway. Uh, not significantly enough that he wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It could, depending on what particularly he, particularly he's looking for. Also. That guy's clearly very stressed in that situation. Like, the moment the lights turn off, he becomes very fucking stressed yeah. about the situation. Uh, so he was probably counting on the fact that he would just recognize the sound of a glass marble hitting tempered glass before realizing that that's probably not a situation he's experienced before. Um, so, yeah, he definitely made a mistake. I don't know that, like, we can call him stupid for that. It's more so it was just a very difficult situation to make the right mm -hmm. Uh, also, uh, my other problem with uh, the bridge game is more so the end of the bridge game when the bridge blows up, and yeah. one yeah, of the players just fucking little... just um, removed from the game due to poor luck. Yeah, that part was definitely a little fucked, because, like, I understand they might have had it rigged to do that as a way of ensuring that people get off there by the time time runs out, but the way they did it, where getting to the end does not protect you from the damage they're doing, uh, is a little bit fucked. Or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe because all the players are off the glass, it doesn't have to blow up now? Yeah, but that could be an oversight where they didn't expect everyone to make it over or fall before the end of time. Oversight or an unexplained factor to uh, increase the VIP's enjoyment. It's like, yeah, have a fun little, little bit of flair. Yeah. But yeah, like, ultimately, uh, I feel like out of all the games, they felt fair to a degree. But the bridge game itself just had so many goddamn problems. Like that's the one where, like, hmm. to be fair, that episode is the one most people have problems with. But the problems they have have less to do with the bridge game and more to do with the fucking VIPs. Uh, <laughs> the yeah. amount of posts I saw online about how this show is great—they even have numbers ranging from one to four hundred and fifty-six—and no one makes memes about the number sixty-nine or the number four twenty. And then, like, other people are commenting on the post. I'm like, oh, well, it's a Korean show. Those numbers probably don't have the same significance over there that they do here. <laughs> and then the moment they introduce English-speaking characters, they immediately start making 69 jokes. And it's just like, fuck these people. Uh, I mean, so, yeah. I think that's the feeling we're supposed to get from them, right? They're supposed to be silly yeah. league. Yeah. The nature of what they're doing. You're not supposed to be a fan of these people. They're literally gambling on human lives for enjoyment. Not even... Like, Gihan was gambling to make money, and yes, he's fucked up for doing that, and there were better ways to go about it that he just wasn't familiar with, but these people aren't even gambling for the plans to make money, they're throwing money away so that they can gamble on just human lives. They're not meant to be good people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're meant to be hated. And this show is good at making characters that you just hate. It's also good at making characters that you should hate, but you don't. Like, as we previously discussed, the frontman is one of those characters who, like, based on his position within the games, should be pretty fucking hated. And he is by the main character. But, like, I didn't hate the frontman. I found the frontman to be a very refreshing character in the series. Uh, Similar thing with the character we end up finding out is in control of the games. Finding out that he's in control and that final scene with him should probably make yeah ilnam should make him hated i didn't end up hating him uh i still found him an enjoyable part of the show i didn't hate him but ever since you first encounter him in the first episode i felt something was off about his placement in the show and the fact that he had number one so now that we've broken the ice and revealed that ilnam sorry spoiler if anyone got this far in the as we were spoiling anything. But now that we've revealed that player number one, also known as Ildam, uh, is the one running the show, do we want to talk about some of the little bits of foreshadowing that were left behind for us to see to well, figure out that Ildam well, was in charge? I guess the good question to start off with is when did people start suspecting Ildam was a little bit more into this or on levels than other things? So, there was... There was a couple key moments uh, for me that I figured something was up. Uh, the moment when I, like, I didn't know that he was in charge, but I knew he had some involvement, uh, was when the cop who broke in and it is investigating, and he starts flipping through the books of the current contestant, and he opens up the very first book, book number one, and the first page is the data sheet on entrant number two. That was the moment I realized that there's definitely something going on with number one. I had other suspicious moments before that, but that's the one that really fucking sold me on him being uh, significant. Oh, okay, I was going to say, yeah, because uh, I guess being suspicious of him and being confident he's something else are two different things. Uh, mm-hmm. So you were confident he was behind things, or not behind things, but involved, essentially, as of that the cop finding the book. What would you, Matt? When, when would you say your suspicion and then the confidence on your suspicion came through? I was suspicious ever since the end of the first game when they voted and they decided to go in order of the contestants' numbers except backwards. So he was the last one and, coincidentally, the one to break the tie to send everyone home to see just how much of hell, or just to see how hellish their lives currently are and make them realize that in the game it's not really that much worse. That mo- uh, so I to go back to me because I like talking about myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was I thought something was off about him when you see his big fucking shit eating grin while people are dying all around him during yeah. the red light green light. That moment of the vote actually got me thinking the opposite way. Um, I assumed the reason they were doing it in descending order was less so for plot reasons and more so because of the fact that you want the main character to have as least control over the vote as possible Mm -hmm. and him just to be watching it happening with nothing he can do. Um, The fact that he ended up voting for it to end actually got rid of some of my suspicions uh, when it happened. Um, I also compounded that with the fact that when we were first introduced to him, he's there because, uh, well, 
he's old, he doesn't have much time left, so he just wants to do something fun in his life. And then in the green, Red Light, Green Light game, you see him having a blast when people are dropping dead all around him. And then after that, despite the fact that he was visually having so much fun during that game, he's like, I want to go home now. Well, he's visually having so much fun in all the games. Uh, so my suspicion for him actually started with the first game. And this is something that apparently a lot of people didn't catch. But Ilnam moves uh, and stops before the thing turns around. Yep. He, he, he's that... singing, and he's singing along on the song, too, which makes it sound like he knows the pattern. Well, well, well to be it fair, keeps they, they repeating keep... the same song over and over, just at slightly faster speeds okay. each time, so it's, it's easy to get the pattern down. It's yeah. presumably saying something to the effect of red light, green light, red like something, like, it's yeah. probably saying that just... except more sing-songy in Korean. Yeah. But, um, um Ultimately, because he was stopping before the thing stopped, where everyone else was more reacting to it, I became very suspicious of him. Uh, but the part that ultimately got me saying he's be like something behind this guy is when they're all back in the normal world, like doing stuff. Mm. He's the only main character we don't get any backstory for. So my head was just like, well, we didn't get his backstory, which means he's got to be involved somehow. Yeah. So. So even though uh, I had no evidence aside from we never got his backstory, I was like. He's going to be the mm -hmm. like every episode's like that old man's up to something. I love him, but he's up to something. Yeah. But then, so, and once you know, you can go back and pick out a bunch of other things too. Like in the secret bonus game in the gymnasium where they're all sleeping, where there was that impromptu fight and massacre. He just up the herd, yes. He just disappeared until the end where he reappeared and called everyone to stop because he was scared and didn't want anyone else to die. To be fair, that was the point that actually started making me, like, properly suspicious of him. Like, as I said, I was a little suspicious after the first game, but kind of stopped feeling that way after he voted for it to end. The moment I started getting, like, properly suspicious of him was during that scene, not because he disappears and then reappears, but because it's him crying for the fight to end that causes them to immediately shut down and end the fight from the manager's perspective. Mm. That was what made me start getting fucking properly suspicious of him. And didn't feel confirmed until his page was missing uh, from the book. But other fun details that people have pointed out about him. Uh, oh, fuck. I had this prepared and then we started talking and it all leached from my brain. Uh, <laughs> right. There's the fact that we don't see what's going on with him while he's on the own, uh, uh, off on his own world. We also we never see him, him gassed either. Yeah. We see him meet up with player 456 and that's where we get his justification. But yeah, the other one is every other player we see get into the van, we also see them get gassed. Him, we just see him get into the van and sit down, and it lingers for a second and then just cuts away, um, rather than showing him get gassed. So that's another suspicious moment. Um, there's the fact that he essentially talks uh, player 456 into going back. Like, he did not seem to be planning on going back. He recognized that his life was not in a good place, but that didn't seem to be a thought he was having, and then he has that conversation with Elnam, and... Uh, he starts considering going back. Uh, another really fun detail that people pointed out that I did not pick up on because I don't speak Korean, but uh, Ilnam roughly translates to first, first man, man yeah. which mm. could be implied he was the first one to create the games. Also could just be a fake name because if you're, if you're in a competition and you're given the position player one and you tell people that your name is first player... <laughs> People are going to be immediately fucking suspicious of whether or not that's your real fucking name. Yeah. So, 
Well, there's also well, I, I, the big thing up to this point was that he's also much older than all the other contestants, so it, it kind of beats the demographic. But I guess that other player is like 130 something, so that's out the window. Uh, there's also the fact that he is intimately familiar with all the games and has specific strategies for like how to win at uh, tug of war and stuff like that. Yeah, even uh, if the enemy team is much stronger. There's the fact that based on the way he's talking. It could be a adventure trip, but I don't think it was an adventure trip. But during the marble game, it sounds very much so like he's explaining that the entire area is modeled the area he grew up in. Yeah, uh, and he's... He, I think he also, in part, did that little fake dementia trip to get at, like, the player's feelings. Oh, the yeah, like... The main the, character oh, that he was partnered up with. Because uh, he absolutely. started to... Uh, like, because the main character started to, I guess, take advantage of the old man's supposed dementia to win the game. And, in a sense, lie to him. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, but the thing is, that Marvel game is what, uh, like, I was confident he was up to something. But, like, mm. I, there was no going back after that Marvel game. Like, the Marvel game was like, he's not dead. We didn't see a body. He was fucking yeah. with uh, gone the whole time. Yeah, guy. they waited until he was around the corner and out of sight to pull the trigger. Yeah, and like, so another key detail is that was absolutely not supposed to be the game where he stopped participating, um, because of the fact that in no other situation is it suggested that if someone can't properly pair up with someone, they get to just skip past the game. So that rule was probably explicitly written in so that no one would want to pair up with him, and he even plans on it like he. Uh, goes up to Gihan right at the beginning when they're told to partner up, and Gihan like starts saying like I don't actually want to partner up with you, and he's just like oh don't worry about that like just take the sweater so no one thinks you're uh, weak or anything. Like he fully endorsed the one person who would be willing to play with him going off to play with other people. I kind of get like my own fan theory as a fan is uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I specified that I'm a fan to have a fan theory, but my own head cannon let's call it that my own head cannon is that his intention was to just skip that game uh, by not being partnered up with anyone, so they had it kind of written into the managerial perspective that someone who doesn't get partnered up uh, just skips past the game. Yeah, but also, I could be wrong, but when they were going into that game, I thought they had an even player count anyway. No, no they have the, an odd... the doctor was killed just before this game. Right. Wait, the doctor was committed... It? No, oh, that, no was a, doctor that was a different game. Yeah, um... That was the, uh... It's after this game that the doctor commits suicide because he had to play against his wife and watch yeah. her die. No, the, the doctor is the surgeon guy that was... Oh, right, no, yeah. That, that was a... Uh... No, the, the doctor did die before this one because it was supposed to be even pairs. And then there's the yes. whole thing about there's going to be one person short because the doctor was killed. Yes, right, right, right. Yes, because yeah. the whole thing is the doctor survived the tug-of-war game. Uh, and after the tug-of-war, there would necessarily be an even number of people because they were teams of 10 at that point. Mm -hmm. Um and so the doctor dying caused it to be odd numbers, uh, and that's why he got, um, uh, there was going to be an odd numbers, and it ended up being the most unlikable woman in the series, uh, yeah. on her own, rather than, yeah. uh, I was really there. hoping she would die there, but as soon as they dragged her off screen, I'm like, oh, they didn't just kill her right there? Well, she's gonna you be see, alive at the end of this. I can see why people want her dead, but I was like, she can't die yet, she's going to kill Doxu. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she. when you have a character openly tell someone, if you betray me, I will kill you, you can't just have that person later die off screen after being betrayed. 
Yeah. yeah. It was very clear from the moment that happened that she was going to end up killing Doc Sue. Whether she had to kill herself in the process, which she did, or if she killed him and then died almost right after. Yeah, but also when they explained the rules for uh, pairing up, you have to pair up for the next game. They didn't say that if you didn't manage to find a partner, you'd be eliminated. So to me, it was obvious that the one person out was not going to be killed for this. They were just going to well, get a buy. I also had the suspicion that the person was going to get a buy if they didn't participate, but strictly because up to this point, being fair for everyone has been such a crucial point and the doctor cheating would affect uh, like the aspect of that negatively affecting another player by sheer luck i didn't mm -hmm. seem like it fit with the game yeah no it was definitely the kind of thing where the doctor cheating was less so him getting killed beforehand was the way of paying it off but also they just kind of declared that the partnership he would have been a part of he lost, and the way to determine who was his partner is whoever didn't partner up with someone else. They just essentially counted as his partner and declared the winner of that matchup. Makes sense. Is essentially how it works out. <laughs> Could you imagine um, them taking her into the room anyways, throwing his corpse down, putting the marbles there? It's like, you have to take his marbles. <laughs> you can't take them by force, though. You need to end the game with his marbles, but you can't take them by force. You have to make him bet all his marbles. <laughs> well, actually, well, you don't you have, don't have to, bet. to bet marbles, though. They, all they said was it can't be taken by force because the whole thing is uh, Wang Su, is that his name? Sang Wu. Sang Wu, the shitty uh, best friend. Is, Actually, uh, I really enjoyed the character of Sang Wu through the whole thing. I, I enjoyed the character. I'm just saying he's a bad person. Uh, he, he's an adorable person. He has his redemption at the end. Uh, kind of. No. Uh, it's a redemption arc, whether you like it or not. I no. Um... But yes, his whole thing is he didn't manage to get Ali to bet his marbles. He managed to deceive him into giving him his marbles. Um, Actually, so yeah, it was just... the funny thing about this, too, is it almost felt like for a little bit that he was trying to make Ali hate him so he wouldn't feel bad about beating him. And then it yeah. just kind of flips. I was like, oh, he was, he was yeah. actually having an outburst. When he was, like, essentially begging Ali not to kill him and, like, yelling at him for cheating or how is he so fucking good at this, it definitely felt like he was still trying to be a good person uh, and convince Ali to hate him so Ali didn't feel bad about killing him. Yeah. Because up until this point, he did a very good job of portraying himself as a good person. Like, even when they get out of the games, and we know he's hugely in debt, but he still gives money to Ali so Ali can catch the bus. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're given lots of signs that He's a good person right up until this moment, and that's when the switch happened, and he just starts becoming a real shitty individual who's clearly in it for his own benefit. I mean, obviously. Now, I, I saw him from a different perspective, where everything he was doing was just in his own interests. When he gave Ali the bus money, it was so Ali would be indebted to him, because he knew he was going back to the game. No, he didn't, because he was actually going to kill himself before he went back to the game. Yeah, he was lying in a bathtub planning on ending his own life when he got the inviting him to come. Um, I guess so. I, I I do definitely see him being a little bit self-serving because the whole fact that he chose to vote for the games to continue rather than voting for the games to end, and he was not the first, but he was one of the first few people to actually vote that way. Um, definitely, I can understand people interpreting him as a bad character right off the bat. I'm just feel the need to 
point out that they they did take steps to try and make him seem like a good person up until that moment when he kills Ollie. Well, he doesn't kill Ollie, but he takes direct actions that lead to Ollie's death, and that's when he starts coming across as a and bad character. And to be fair, it does also play off like he actually does feel bad about that too in the scene. Yeah. Like uh, and then when he's leaving, and then it has the scene with Ollie, like the look on his face, he does kind of come off as like, I have to do this, but I do feel bad about it. Yeah. But then he like pushes it deep inside, like he does with most of the other <laughs> shitty things he does. Because like when he does some most like early on when he starts doing some of the bad stuff, he does have moments of hesitation, which yeah. he just kind of pushes it. Like uh, he very much turns to the, I need to do this to win. And that kind of has, like, he realizes the error of his ways in a sense, I guess, uh, with the Squid Game at the end because of how, you know, his childhood friend ends up treating the game. Yeah, he gets to the point where his childhood friend could take his life very easily and win 45.6 billion won. Uh, and his friend turns to him and says, I'd like to end the game if you agree to end the game right now then we can both be done with this and neither one of us has to die. And that's when he realizes the shitty things he's done and the lives he's been willing to take in order to get his hands on this money and starts to realize that he... The error of his ways, shall we say. Yeah. It doesn't justify what he does, but like the arc is kind of him realizing the error of his ways and trying to do something to make good, which kind of leads me to another thing that I found really interesting that I want to talk about. Uh, all of the deaths of the main characters are foreshadowed. Oh, 100%. So we Everything have... they do when they're out, uh, after they leave, after the Red Light, Green Light game, everything they do ends up coming back to be how they die. And even like a little bit beyond that. So, first of all, we see uh, Songwoo, he uh, has the scene where he almost kills himself while he's soaking wet in a bathtub. Later on, he ends up actually killing himself while he's soaking wet in the rain. Yeah. Uh, in both scenes, he's wearing a suit. Uh, Cy Biok, the pickpocket, we see her hold a knife up against uh, the man who has been stealing her money to save her family's throat. Um, and then later on, her throat gets slit by uh, Sang-woo. Yep. Uh, Deok-su mm -hmm. jumps off a boat after... Or not jumps, jumps off, off a bridge. Jumps off a bridge after being betrayed by someone he thought he could trust. And then later on gets pulled to his death off of a bridge by someone he believed he could trust. Um, Someone he knew he couldn't at the time. Yeah. Uh, Ali steals money from someone and leaves them to die and later has his uh, marble stolen from him and he is left to die. Was there any other ones I'm thinking of? I think there was something with the girl like the girl falling to her death too, right? Oh, right, yes. During the uh, This one isn't during the, her time away because I don't think it shows any of her while she's away. No. We don't really get her as a character until she comes back. But what we do see is when they get back from the tug-of-war game, she's talking about how uh, that was crazy, how they did all that stuff, and the moment she started leaning back to pull the rope, she felt immensely powerful, like she could do anything. Yeah. And then that's the exact posture she uses to pull Deoxu off the bridge. Yeah. That, that was There's cool. also the slight bit of foreshadowing where uh, with Gihan's mother, where when they're tied up and he asks the pickpocket to free him, and she asks him to swear on his mother's life, and he does, and then immediately goes back on it, and then at the end of the game, he finds out that his mother died. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. lots of little bit of, of foreshadowing. Which, uh, that scene, a lot of people complain that, like, he's not emotionally distraught at his mother's death, which I think they did that scene amazing, considering, like, he's been around death for, like, only for, like, the last six days, and yeah. his yes. mother is just another death. 
that like he has no results to go at that point. Yeah, I don't think it's that he isn't distraught at his mother's death. It's more he's it's just that, dead inside. Yeah, he's emotionally exhausted after witnessing... Like, yes, he saw a lot of death in general, but those last two deaths were people he genuinely fucking cared about, and he had to watch them die while there was nothing he could do about it. So finding out that his mother died and there was nothing he could do about it, it's just too much for him at that point. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's but why, when like, you gamble yeah. away your mother's insurance money, what can you do? <laughs> to, to be fair, you didn't gamble away that insurance money. The insurance plan was cancelled. Yes, he cancelled because... it for gambling money. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think definitely, like, I think that's why I enjoy Gion's character so much. Like, not so much, like, he is a shitty person at the beginning, but he grows into, like, what he can be, essentially, throughout the arc of the story. And I think that is, like, what makes him such an interesting character. Oh, yeah. I'm... So, the director hasn't announced any plans to make a season two. People have been pressuring him to make that announcement. Uh, but the one thing he has said is that uh, he started working on this series back in 2018. Uh, and, or it might have actually been before 20. It might have been fucking 2008, and I'm just saying 2000, uh, 2018. But he's been working on this series for a long fucking time. Uh, and he had never had plans to make a season two. He kind of ended it on a cliffhanger, I'll be honest. But that could have been a rather relatively recent addition due to the Netflix probably pressuring him to leave it open to a season two. Um, so he has said there's no plan in the works for a season two. But if they do do a season two, I think fucking Gi-hun uh, will be a very compelling character to actually follow at that point. Well, what ends up so, happening is at the end, he ends up calling and he's like, oh, I'm like, I can't forgive you guys for this. And like, just get on the plane, Gihan. And he turns around, like giving up his family again for these games. Yeah. And people have suggested that uh, he could end up getting entranced by the money and end up in a situation where he's now also working for them as in a similar role to the front man. I don't foresee that happening because he wasn't entranced by the money when he was immediately paid for it. He left it in a fucking bank account sitting there untouched for over a year because he couldn't emotionally deal with what happened to him. So uh, Okay, so here's an interesting thing, which is partially my theory and based on some things people are saying online. So Gihun dyeing his hair red uh, can symbolize him being a part of the system now, in a sense. So a Fair. lot of people theorize online that Ilnam... Uh, essentially, Ilnam went in there trying to find fun, essentially, but came out actually finding a friend in Gihun. Yep. So the idea is that that's why he decided to spare Gihun, even though he could have easily just, I won the marble game. He decides to spare him because he actually has that friendship and wants him to, to go forward and believes he actually has a chance to win. So that's why he decides yes. to bow out there when he would have gone further in the game if he had the choice. On top of that, he also reaches out to Gihun at the end and reveals everything to him, even though he never had to because he has that trust with him. And the idea is that Ilnam doesn't have family anymore, and he was going to die alone in his bed, but he essentially invites Gihun there for that final game on his deathbed, kind of showing the father-son like relationship they kind of had in a sense. Yeah, there's even a fucking line that Ilnam has where he says that his uh, son doesn't like milk, and then we get a scene later on when they're given breakfast, and Gihun has a similar line of how he doesn't drink milk. So yeah, there's lots of parallels uh, between Gihun and Ilnam being in a father-son type relationship slash friends. So the but, idea uh, that's kind of speculated here is that 
Ilnom was the driving force about the fairness of the games, while the other VIPs just kind of want newer, crazier, like, things happening for their entertainment. But Ilnom was actually very serious about the fairness and the chance of winning. So with Ilnom now dead, if he is dead, because there is a theory of people that think he faked his death, I think Ilnom's dead. But I think uh, the rest of the VIPs remaining care more about the spectacle and not so much the fairness. So the, yeah, this is kind of where my theory kicks in. What if Ilnam was setting up Gihun to be his like VIP replacement because he saw himself in Gihun? So effectively like leaving him more money than what he won because of that? Yeah. And leaving then... him in place to become the new successor. Yeah, essentially one of the VIPs. Because and... right now he wants to uh, our good old main character wants to uh, end the games as they currently are. But who knows how that'll change in a potential season two. Especially when uh, you know, the police officer who was shot but fell off a cliff into water, so he's obviously not dead, comes back. Well, that's where the fun part starts, because what if Gihan's like, I want to finish these games? And how do you work in a second squid game with Gihan in it? Because that doesn't make sense, him going back into the game, because he knows no. how this effectively ends. And if you show new characters, then what's Gihan doing in the story? So my idea is, what if he confronts the VIPs and like, okay, fine, if you can win squid game a second time, you could cancel last game ever. So he's forced to go back into the Squid Games again to get to the end of it because that's how the deal that they have for him ending the games are. That's fair. Um, I... So I definitely got the feel that Ilnam was trying to pass the torch like to Gihan in more ways than one and him informing uh, Gihan about the Squid Games and the whole mechanisms by which they happen was his way of trying to let Gihan know what was coming so that he could later on kind of pass the torch a little bit. Um, and so even when the front man got on the phone with Gihan at the end and told him, walk away, get on the plane, uh, it was all a dream, essentially. Um, well, that... You kind of get the feeling... the It was all a dream line was everyone aware. But I kind of get the feeling that it was less so him actively telling him go away and more so it was like the final test from Ilnam to see if he would still care about the games and while yes he might go into it with the passion of trying to shut it down Ilnam's trying to set him up to be in a position to control it a little bit and he might be in a, the difficult situation of if he just ends it they're just going to start it all over again in worse conditions for the players whereas if he controls it he might be able to uh, maintain the fairness of the games or something. Like, I'm not saying this is where it's going to go, but oh, I yeah. could easily see it going in that direction. Oh yeah, I, I believe if that is the case, Ilnam wasn't passing on to Gion for the idea of stopping the games, it was just he saw a successor for his ideals in Gion. Yeah. And uh, uh, he saw another person who loved games as much as he did, essentially. And the other thing about this too that's so interesting is when Gion turns around to go essentially take the fight to them, he does. He makes the same decision in a different way, uh, I guess, but the same decision that Ilnam made of giving up his family for these games. Yes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all that pays off if they do end up making a second season or something like that. Um, I don't know. I, there's a lot of fun speculation, as you mentioned, Matt, uh, Junho. Ho. They made a very clear point of not showing his death when 
most characters that they didn't show die, they later revealed didn't actually die. Um, so oh, yeah, it would no, be I, that guy is. I feel like 100% is alive, but it also begs the question of if he is alive, how come we're not hearing anything else in this you know year time jump of him? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what they could, I'm not saying this is what they will do. Once again, I don't know where. I'm not the writer for the series, but what they could easily do is have season two start with him like waking up from a coma where he's been in a coma in a fucking hospital bed for a year. And because we specifically saw him take his badge and ID out of his pocket and put it in the guy he was throwing off the boat in the beginning of the season, when he's in that hospital bed, no one would have any idea who he is. So he could wake up and then be in a position to try and, uh, not even necessarily stop the games, but get his brother out of the games uh, for season two. Either that or the fact that these very powerful and influential people now know exactly who he is. He could be in hiding. Well, yeah, and to be fair, his... Like, yes, as a police officer, uh, his tertiary goal was probably to stop the games and save lives, but his primary goal all along had nothing to do with the games and everything to do with finding out what happened to his brother. Yeah. So the revelation that his brother is the frontman who has been controlling the games for the most part could very easily lead to the reveal that his brother is uh, somehow, uh, or he's no longer focused on trying to shut down the games for the past year, and he's been working on a plan of how to get through to his brother. Well, even just Cur- The current frontman is uh, on the side of the current VIPs, so he'll become the new frontman for our good old main character being the new overseer. Uh, and the thing about the, the, the cop as well is that his, uh, where his story was all about what happened to his brother, the revelation that his brother's the frontman and being shot, they could just say he died because that is effectively the end of that storyline that he was, right? Oh, yeah. They, them not showing him dying doesn't mean he's going to come back. It's them leaving the door open for season two if they want to bring him back. But yes, he has had a fully complete story arc uh, in season one, and they don't necessarily need to bring him back. Uh, though I will say, I do much enjoy the fact that his whole story was him slowly progressing up the chain by stealing masks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're even joking I... when watching. It's like, so he's going to steal the front man's mask and then blend in there, and then he's going to steal one of the VIP's masks. That is a hundred. So I 100% was making the same meme, except I was watching it by myself. I was memeing to myself. Uh, I'm not a sad person. I'm a very normal, well-adjusted human being. Uh, but yes, uh, watching him like slowly steal higher and higher ranking masks, and I fully fucking expected a scene uh, after he gets in the room with the VIP, uh, and the VIP takes off his mask. I fully expected a scene of him putting the VIP mask on yep. and just seeing how that fucking resolved. <laughs> also, earlier on, I was also expecting him to dong the frontman mask for just a scene. Um, yeah, that was 100% something I was expecting to happen. Less so seriously, and more so just, it would be funny if. Yeah. It was definitely one of those, like, interesting, like, uh, trends that were going on. Uh, I believe the joke online I saw was, everyone's playing Hunger Games outside, but he's playing Among Us inside. Fair. Uh, I just assumed he was playing Majora's Mask. So, there's one other... Well, not one other. But there's another thing I want to discuss really briefly, which is um, people talking about the uh, the old man, Ilnam, and 
there have been people posting online about how his participation in the games uh, broke the balance that they discussed because uh, he had a guaranteed win through every game. Um, he didn't, though. Yeah, he almost yeah. actually died during the cookie uh, challenge. Yeah, the cookie challenge, he almost... Well, I don't know that he almost died during the cookie challenge, because that could have been another situation like the... Uh, whatchamacallit, the marble game, where they could have just waited until everyone else was shot and just not shot him. Um, but he absolutely could have died during the fucking red light, green light, and the tug of war were both situations where he could have fucking died, and yeah, there because, was nothing like, he could have been done. Actually, someone you see, uh, in, took a you see in the red light, green light game that a lot of people died because scared participants were trampling over others and shoving people. Yeah. So yeah. he could have easily been shoved to the side. Uh, so there are two things that came up on both of those. So in the red light, green light, when it's doing the scan, uh, people notice that he, he doesn't have as bright a green overlay over him, whether that's just, you know, how the scene imaging worked or impl impl implying earlier that it's not watching him as strongly or even around him. Uh, that, one I, that one I did see, and I he's definitely lit up green. I'll agree it's not as bright people around him, so it's possible there's something like that going on. Uh, as for what you're about to bring up about the tug of war, go ahead um, and bring it up, but I have rebuttal. Uh, so people have noticed looking at the frames that he is chained to the rope, uh, but when everyone's laying back and like he's grinning and stuff, uh, people have noticed uh, going over it in still frames that he's no longer chained to the rope. So the argument that people make for that one, because I have seen the specific post, is when it's doing the shot after the um, tug of war match, after they all kind of fall down because the rope gets cut and there's no more tension, yeah, uh, it like slowly pans down over them, and on all of them you can see little padlocks on their leather cuffs, indicating that they're still locked into it, and you can't see any on his cuffs. Um, the argument I have for that, because when I saw that theory, I didn't notice it when I was first watching, but when I saw that theory, I went back to watch the scene to see it to see if that was actually true. I do 100% think that's just the way he's lying. You can't see the padlocks because literally half a second before that, when you see the shot of them all falling back, you literally see him falling back and his hands flailing into the air as he's falling. And you can see crystal clear one of the fucking padlocks still locking onto his cuff as he's falling back. So I don't think he wasn't locked into the fucking uh, tug of war thing. Oh, I don't doubt that he was not locked into the rope itself. I just think he did have ways out for a lot of these games. I definitely think... So I'm... I accept he might have died during the uh, red light, green light. There is the argument that perhaps the machine was specifically coded not to shoot him. Um, the argument could be made for that one. Um, I don't think that's the case for tug of war but i could be wrong the yep. director could come out tomorrow and say actually his cock was the lock or the key for the lock all along he could get out whatever he wanted i really don't uh, think but he could have for the tug of war one though yeah that's... mainly because of the lock but also because of their positioning during the tug of war game and how it... all of the participants were watching exactly. everyone would question why this one old man 
was able to be unlocked from the rope before the rest of his team was dragged to their death and I, he I was mean, allowed to live and walk away. To be fair, they do have a loophole they could have used in the fact that they said, oh, you only lost if you fell to your death, so he didn't fall to his death, so I guess technically he gets to live. And then I, the funny part would have been everyone else going after that tug of war trying to get out of the locks during the game. So I, I, I agree with Matt, and that's my thinking, is red light, green light, they could have coded it that he didn't get shot because no one was really paying that much attention to anyone else and where he was stopping before and after anyways. If he moved slightly, other people probably wouldn't have noticed it if it just didn't shoot him. Um, and then with the marbles and the Dalgona, they just wait until the end after everyone else has been shot and no one's left alive to witness whether or not he gets shot. Because the, which also the, matches up with the, him stalling for the Marbles game, too. Exactly. Yeah, and when they were doing the Honeycomb game, whenever someone showed that they had successfully cut out their shape, they were promptly led out of the room. Yeah. Yeah, so he had ways of not getting shot in those games. I do think it would have... Uh, the As Matt said, that was exactly my thinking tug-of-war as well, though, was it's way too out in the open for him to just take off the handcuffs as they're sliding back and not fall to his death uh, for them to be able to call out and then have other people like witness the fact that this one guy wasn't killed and he's being walked back to the room with everyone else um, yeah. at that point. I think literally every other game, I do think he had a way of not dying. But and then even... the final game, if he had made it past the marble game to the bridge, there would have been no way for him to get through without knowing for certain. Yeah, I think at best he just puts himself last. Yeah, but even still, there's the risk that he'd die from time up. Because if yeah, someone's I... still on the bridge in front of him, they're going to die from time up, so they'd have to kill him in the process. Yeah, so I think he, if he made it to the bridge, he would have been in that danger, which might be why they just rode him out before he got to the bridge. Well, it could but be he... also maybe he decided that he did want to actually leave that time, and if he stayed behind and didn't get a partner, it would have been, oh, we killed Il-Nam off-screen. But then because the guy came, I want to be your partner, he's like, oh, fine, I'll, I'll do this one last one. Yeah, it could have just as easily been that, because even if it's not them writing him out from a like story writer perspective, him staying in that late into the final two games does start to actually have a direct impact on the balance of the game, because the only way for him to be in that fucking bridge game is if he knows the fucking pattern of tempered and non-tempered, which does immediately throw off the balance for anyone who happens to go behind him. I'm just loving the concept of, Il-Nam, you won the game! Here's all this money! Yeah, so I think his plan all along was to not participate. He definitely probably wasn't going to participate in the final game, and just getting out at that point was the logical point. Yeah. And he might have just gotten shot off-screen, in air quotes, uh, if he had of not participated in the Marble game. Yeah. Which um, I think was the case, because uh, as you mentioned before, he was trying to like avoid getting a partner in that game, which could be he was just going to try to use that rule secretly to get written out, in a sense. And he even tried to make himself look weaker going into this, as in, like, it was the scene where he, uh, quote-unquote, pissed his, his pants. pants which, yeah. uh, if you notice, when that gets revealed, he's also got an empty water bottle next to him. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, he does that. Then, like, once people start partnering up, he literally, like, hides in a hole in the wall and, like, curls himself up into a ball. He is trying 
like looking back on it with the awareness of his role in the show, he seems to be going out of his way not to get picked as a partner in that game. Yeah. Um, so it's either his plan is to skip past this game without having to take any risks, or his plan is that's when he's writing himself out of the game. Yeah. Uh, and they just change the rules when someone else ends up in a situation because they don't want to affect the fairness and have someone else die because they couldn't get a partner. Yeah, and ultimately that's the thing too. We don't know to what degree he was actually at risk in these games, and that's something that's never addressed. So um, if they bring it up, if they do another season, we might find out. But right now it's all speculation either way. Yeah. Anyways, that, I just wanted to... Mm-hmm gush a little bit about that character specifically because he's got some interesting plot points going on with him. Uh, so I do have something else interesting I, I want to ask you guys. Uh, specifically, did you guys uh, notice the uh, wall uh, hints for the game? Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. Uh, I didn't notice it immediately, obviously, because there's fucking beds in the way. Uh, but I think it was after the Dalgona is when I started to realize that the walls had details about the games. Did you notice this, Matthew? I didn't not. So, I noticed there were designs on the walls, but I didn't pay them much mind. Yeah, all so, of them hint at games. Oh. So yeah, there's one of the designs on the walls is the different shapes for the Dalgona. That's the one that gives the least away. But there's uh, designs of a woman leaning up against a wall with a whole bunch of people walking towards her. There's designs of people playing tug of war. There's the squid game like mural shape that they yeah. play on. I mean, there's... it was obvious the last one was going to be squid game. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but there was also I don't remember there being one for marbles. That might be the only one they did hint towards. Uh, but literally every other one of the games, there was murals on the wall from the moment they sat in there the first time of what the different games were going to be. Hmm. Yeah, there was. Uh, I picked those up. I think it was actually right after the Dalgona game. I saw the symbols, and that's what kind of cool me. Oh, there's something going on here. So I was trying to look at the walls, but unfortunately, you don't get to see much of the walls until more people die and they take out their beds. Yeah, the one time you get like a truly good shot of it is after the bridge game when uh, all when it's just the three of them and it's just the three beds around the room. Uh, yeah, they even have one for the glass panel one. I don't see one. Oh, yes, there's one for marbles as well. There's... Yeah, three people around a circle or something. Yeah, two people kneeling around a circle and then one person standing looking down on them. Uh, so, yeah, there's murals for all the different games. Uh, the one where you get the least amount of a hint is the Dalgona one, but everything else you get the pretty good details. And there are shots of the room with all the beds in it where you can kind of see them, but they're so obscured by fucking beds that you can't tell what you're actually looking at. Exactly. Um, and then uh, there is actually one last thing I want to talk about, and that's something I've seen a lot of people arguing about online, which uh, I think a lot of people misunderstand this, and that's the conception that a lot of people think only one person can win the Squid Game. No, uh, absolutely. If they managed to, if all 16 people from the second last game made it through, they would have been split into two teams of eight. And one team of eight would have won the Squid Game. In fact, uh, someone did the math, and the best way to win Squid Game, honestly, is to everyone to work together. And if you take it, the red light, green light game with this one as it is, where automatically those people would have died regardless because they didn't know at that point. If everyone mm-hmm. would have been like, we're working together at this point, understanding that at some points we're going to have to kill people because the game demands it. There's only two games that have people, which means that at the final round, if you take into the account that 
statistically, the glass bridge with how many glasses there are, nine people should die on average going across that glass bridge. You would go into the glass bridge with about 50 people. And then that means if you take out the nine, you would have just over 40 people going into Squid Game, meaning uh, around 20 to 25 people could statistically have won the Squid Game if everyone just worked together and didn't try to kill each other. Yeah. Yep. It would have been a fucking brawl once you got to the Squid Game. Oh, yeah, that would have been like yeah. a fucking like 10 on 10 game of Squid, of, of squid Game. But yes, uh, absolutely. The only games where people were required to die were the Tug of War and the Marbles game, both of which halved the group, so... Yeah, if you assume that the 255 people die during red light, green light, you have the 200 who make it through, uh, have down to 100, down to 50, and then... I'm not sure about the mm -hmm. 9 number, but I'll take it. Uh, uh, so it was 14 glass panels, I believe it was. So someone took like the statistics of going through okay. each time, and on average, it would come out to 9 people selecting the wrong panel. So yeah... Uh, it doesn't, that, that doesn't mean it's guaranteed it, nine, but like on average, using statistics, mm -hmm. it comes out to nine. It could go either way of higher or lower. It could be a but, person guesses wrong every goddamn time. Yeah, worst case scenario, 13 people die, and you still have 37 people who made it through to the final game. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah, Heck, but if the, people... Regardless, the vast majority of the people who were partaking in the Squid Game all wanted the money for themselves for their own reasons, so... There were very few people who I could see willing to work together towards that end. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people have said this online, and it's actually pretty interesting to look at it. Uh, a lot of people misinterpret the players anyways, how what Squid Game is. It's not a game of being the last person standing, it's being like survival, right? Yeah. And the best way to survive is to have more people around because that also means statistically, if there's a killing blow that's coming your way, it's lowers your chance of taking that killing blow because there's more targets. Yeah. yeah. Like, statistically speak, like, if they manage to have all 456 people actually survive the fucking red light, green light, if no one fucking died, then that doubles your chances of surviving the uh, tug of war, essentially, because instead of it just being 100 people who survive, now it's 225 people who fucking survived. Which, if you have at least 14, uh, more than 14 people going into the bridge game, you're guaranteed to get across if you're not past 14, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's it the funny not... thing of uh, the whole, like, stats of it. Like, if everyone just works together... Actually, on your idea of no one dying during red light, green light, and people only dying when those half game happens, that's a pretty confusing game of tug-of-war when they get there, because no one's died yet. So, uh, if no one dies during red light green light if everyone makes it through that one because they're all really good at red light green light and they're made the stakes are made clear to them from the beginning like let's make that assumption stakes are made clear to them from the beginning so they'll take it seriously then uh 114 people make it through to the bridge which worst case scenario you have a hundred people in the squid game and it's 50 versus fucking 50 that's the fucking final scene I want to watch. Yeah. 50 defenders cannot fit in that squid. They obviously scale it up a little bit, but oh, yeah. Yeah. it's just one of those things where, like, that's what I want season two to be. I want it to be the exact same fucking games, and Gihan gets to participate, and he explains the stakes to everyone from the beginning, and everyone's immediately on board with working together. So we have a hundred people on that tiny fucking platform <laughs> leading up to the fucking glass uh, fucking bridge. Yeah, that's the squid game I want to watch.
And they use, like, a people chain to save people from falling. <laughs> There's literally so many people trying to get across the glass bridge that no one can actually fall because they can form a human ladder. <laughs> yeah. And another interesting thing that a lot of people didn't surprisingly do in the Squid Game is try to push the rules as much as they could. Yeah. Because the only person who actually does that is the best friend who, you know, oh, I didn't take the marbles forcefully. I tricked him into giving the marbles, right? That mm -hmm. that's, It's not explicit in the rule. Or the whole idea about the Delgoga uh, game where it's, you know, they give you the needle. And the implication a lot of people think is, oh, I have to use the needle to get out. But, you know, Gihon ends up Gihon licking, it. licking it. Yeah, and yeah. that's the thing, like... They tell you the rules, and if it's not stated as against the rules, you should really try to exploit it. For example, one that someone pointed out on the tempered glass thing is uh, if you jump and try to land with your uh, legs on both bars, there is a chance that even if the glass breaks, you could probably grab grab yourself. Yeah, yeah, that was one I thought of. Uh, one thing, I didn't go back to double-check this scene, and I kind of wish I had now. Um but I don't know if during the declaration they said you have to jump on a pane of glass. If they said that, then they would probably shoot you if you tried to cross the middle beams. Oh yeah, but um, you're also, uh, if you're on that metal beam when it cracks and you catch yourself, they shoot you, oh, yeah. you're dead either way, so you're at least, you know, playing with the rules to see what you can get done. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, there was more steps they could have made. And even if they, like, didn't just walk across the middle part, but tried to jump on both panes of glass and tried to distribute their weight between two, both of them, because that is one thing uh, the director said was the, the untempered glass would shatter if one person stepped on it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if you only put half your weight and split it between the two, that it will still shatter. And even if it does shatter, there's the chance you can still catch yourself and pull yourself onto the tempered glass, so... There were ways around it that people weren't thinking of. Uh, also, that... people were able to bring items in there, hence the marbles. So if everyone brought all their marbles from the marble game, there would have been no fucking problem there. Yeah, uh, that is another thing I fucking love, going back to that scene of the bridge, is the fucking science teacher who gets in there and does the math and figures out the odds that he guesses correctly every time are just non-existent. So instead, what he's going to do is fucking sprint full speed and guess randomly. Because even if he does make a wrong guess that way, he's hopefully not giving information to the people behind him because they won't be able to keep track of his random yep. choices. <laughs> I enjoyed that. He was like, and he I may die, few... but I'm not helping the people behind me. He and made he did get a few panels. Yeah, he made it four yeah. further. And this is the point yep. where he wanted to guess where he landed, as he predicted, I guess. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, a few times in the series, though, during some of the games, where I was like, come on, you were just asking to get killed? And the big one that stands out to me is during the Delgoga game, the guy at the top of the slide. Oh, yeah. That guy, it's like, when it cuts to him and he's doing it, he cracks it, and, I, and you notice he's on top of the slide. It's like, of course you were going to break it. They're going to get that shot of you getting shot and sliding down it. Yeah. What were you thinking climbing to the top of the slide before you started working out your Delgona? That's some fucking dumb shit right there. It's a death flag right there. Long slide for long fall. Yeah, I have to say, like, clearly everyone agrees, but Squid Game was, like, quite the really good surprise. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of those things that I just kind of, well, I didn't stumble across. Uh, a whole bunch of memes pointed me in its direction without giving me an idea of what was actually going on. And I was just like, fuck it, I should get context for these memes I keep seeing. And I sought it out and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I just heard the title of the series and 
I guess, one little upbeat song or semi-upbeat song from the soundtrack. And I'm like, huh, I have no idea what this show is about, but I'm already a little confused. <laughs> the upbeat song was not doing you any favors. Yeah, no. <laughs> the, uh, the music I think of when I watch, think back on that show is the very tense fucking violin playing that uh, was going on whenever fucking a game was being played. Mm-hmm. What about the violin music every time when they're getting ready for the game? That too. Less so than the tense violin for the game itself. But I still think of it. So, I like how they had two classical music pieces that they played at this for the same reason every game. Uh, there's, well, not every game, but there is the one... I can't rem I can't name it, but they played it every time that they were waking the contestants up. But then the one that they played whenever they were introducing the next game and getting ready to or explain the rules was the good old blue Danube waltz. Which, if I yeah. remember correctly, wasn't that made during wartime to keep people calm? Uh, maybe? Or something like that. I'm not that entirely sure. Possible. Another cool thing, uh, since we're talking about like some slightly behind the scenes, that wasn't really behind the scenes, but I'm choosing to declare it behind the scenes because you're talking about sound design, um, even though it was actually inside the series itself. Uh, but I want to talk about set design uh, because this show has some fucking fantastical sets and like. 99% of them were all actual like sets that they designed to actually have this on. There's very little like CGI going on to make things look the way they did. Um, to the point where like one of the more picturesque things that you see while you're watching it is the like MC Escher stairs that they take to the games anytime they participate in the game. And that's just an actual fucking room that they created for this uh, TV series. Which is fucking insane they literally brought mc escher's vision to life except that, with physics that still works no, that whole stair room is uh oh it's based off of some particular painting i think yeah it's the mc escher i forget yeah, the, the mc escher uh, uh, but mc stairs? escher lithography titled relativity relativity that's what it's called uh but yeah it's all based off of that but Thank you, Google. they actually created it in the real world to film yeah. those scenes on, which is just That room insane. is nuts. Uh, <laughs> I also enjoy, like, how fucking confusing it must be for all the people who actually work there. Because, like, as we see from the scenes where they're navigating the doctor around, it's just a whole bunch of, like, closets with doors on both ends that... If you know all the right doors to follow, they lead you down towards the spot where the doctor works on stuff. Uh, it's a whole fucking thing. Recommendations. What do you guys want to recommend from outside the topic? Outside the topic, but still kind of related to the topic. I'm uh, going to uh, yeah. yeah. I just phrased it that way because you're not allowed to recommend people watch Squid. That's what this whole podcast has been. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to recommend the anime titled Death Parade, which is another series about high-stakes games, this one being uh, games played by people who have died. If they win the game, they get to come back to life. If they lose the game, well, they don't. High-stakes indeed. Yeah. Uh, tell me one... Tell me 
one good scene from this series, Matt, to really sell it for me. I will not. Okay. <laughs> Fair. Fucking got him. Keith, <laughs> what do you recommend? Uh, so I'm actually going to recommend uh, another thing you can find on Netflix. It's a film called Circle. Circle? What is Circle about? Uh, so Circle is about 50 people that wake up in a circle, and they have to play a game that uh, between rounds, they, everyone has to vote, and whoever has the most votes is killed, and only one person gets out. It's a really good like thriller with some, like I guess, horror-esque elements in the fact that 50 people wake up with no idea why they're there. In a psychological horror? In a sense. It's a really good, like, concept that's, uh, I feel, mm. done really well in the movie. And I highly recommend it. And All considering right. I'm recommending this off of Squid Game, you can kind of get a feel of how that's going to go. Fair. Uh, so what I want to recommend uh, is another Korean thriller, is how I'm going to describe it. Um, but it's Parasite. I don't know if I already fucking recommended this in the past, because I watched it a while back and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but it's about uh, poor people living in Korea, uh, essentially cheating their way into uh, living in a fancy home by working for the people who actually live in the fancy home. And it's another very tense series um, that deals with poverty and the things poor people will do to deal with that. It's good. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Alrighty then, if that's it for recommendations, uh, question for the audience. I got a question. If there's, is there a childhood game from your, or not a childhood, a playground game from your childhood that you want to see them recreate as a deadly game in uh, the next season of Squid Game? For instance, uh, for me, I want to see them uh, recreate Red Rover Except with the stakes being, if you don't manage to properly come over, you fucking die. <laughs> I want to see them recreate Grounders. Oh, oh boy, Grounders, Grounders would be good. I mean, Grounders is already dangerous. <laughs> depending on the playground you're playing on. Fair. Um, I don't know, like, Pokemon battles? Oh, Beyblades. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Beyblades! Beyblades, and if your disc stops spinning first, you die. Like Beyblades with actual razor blade blades, and you're chained down into the stadium. And if you lose, they send you to the Shadow Realm. <laughs> Which is just like a dark closet. Yeah. They don't kill you, they just put you in a dark room. <laughs> Alright, uh, uh... Dude, so, uh, Instagram? Did anyone Instagram correctly? Uh, so, uh, the question that we had last time was, what was your favorite boss or fight in Resident Evil 2? Uh, we had one response from Hannah J underscore uh, thirteen, and their Mothman? answer it was Mothman, which I'm going to give them a pass on this one because clearly they were referencing the moth fight from Resident Evil Two, which was sadly not in the remake. Yes, that's clearly what they were doing. Yep, that's how I t choose to interpret that. Hmm. If it's such a good fight, I'm gonna have to look it up. Yep, you should. Yep. Uh, anyone correctly guessed the topic of this episode? So we had two guesses. Uh, the first one was from Yazoo underscore Rose on Instagram, and their guess was Childhood Games, which they were very close. Yeah, they were close. Also, Slightly less murderous, but close. Uh, also, thinking about it, I just thought of another Childhood Game that could be pretty good, and that's Simon Says. Oh, Ooh. Simon Says would be a good one. Just like, 
going through the Simon Says does this, Simon Says does this, do this, and then like a whole bunch of people do it and immediately get shot. I, I, I feel like Simon Says has to be the intro game, much like Red Light, Green Light. Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Maybe and... for season two. <laughs> and uh, we had one other guess. Uh, this one was from Tachi underscore Camargo, and it's a squid emoji. Pretty close. They didn't include game, though. Yeah. Between Yazoo and Tachi, they managed to get it together. One guess games, one guess squid. Yeah, we'll put them together get... and give them... They both get partial marks. Both they together both uh, equal point. one point. Yeah. Much like how the three of us together equal one complete adult. Uh, I think you're giving us too much credit. That's fair. I might actually be giving us too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I'm going to quickly check our emails, but I don't believe we have gotten anything. I just want to be sure in case we got something during the podcast itself. Nope. All right. In that case, uh, I'm just going to thank everyone for tuning into today's episode. Remember that you can find us on all major podcasting platforms. You can also find videos of our podcasts. I say videos, but it's an image with the audio on YouTube. Uh, you can always reach out to us on Instagram. Follow us there to answer the questions that we pose, see hints for what we're going to talk about, all that fun stuff. Uh, and remember that you can email us if you have an idea for what our podcast should be about or if you just have a question you want us to answer. And to email us, reach out to us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. That's what is my podcast about at gmail.com. All of those words are spelt the way they are normally spelt. Uh, and make sure you tune back in in a fortnight for our next episode, which is about what was it, Keith? Uh, from what I understand, uh, 10 reasons why you didn't help defeat Thanos. I was busy, man. 